0: saint paul says death where is your sting christians believe in the resurrection of the body christians hope in the reality of heaven but how can this authentic christian hope exist alongside such sadness and feelings of loss when someone we love dies two of the most striking words in the entire bible are jesus wept even this eternal god who became man wept over the death of his dear friend Lazarus. Walk with us as we explore death and the feelings of loss by those of us left behind. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. Since 2015, there have been over 300 murders a year in Baltimore City. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that these are actual people and not just numbers. And sadly, we fail to see the impact of these people's lives until they're gone. Like Sebastian. He was funny, with a wonderful wit. Bright and a great conversationalist. You could see him quoting a Seinfeld episode and then shifting to some aspect of quantum physics. He was empathetic and never belittled anyone. Except he was the master of the humble brag. So he was a guy that was one of the things that kind of defined him. He loved like
1: the humble brag, you know, not pretending or even not pretending, not to put much effort in something and then just kind of nail it, right? Uh, If it was a ping pong game, let's say, for example, everyone would be talking like, say, uh, you know, how good they are or whatever in a tournament. And he wouldn't say anything necessarily until he got on the table and then casually, and I already know know that he's an incredibly good (laughs) ping pong player, but he would never let anyone know this. And then would, would smoke everyone immediately. And because this is sort of his persona his persona was like to not ever let someone know that you had this ability until you laid the hammer down basically. <laughs> the one story I think of right off the bat, which involved me, was um we were going to a football game actually in, in Kansas City. And you know, we were all at the airport, me and my buddy and him. And he, you know, he disappears. He disappears for like for the loading the plane. He's still out there, he's still out there. He disappears, he's he's just kind of like, where is he? Where is he? We, so finally we get on the plane. I'm at this point panicked. He doesn't have any of the itinerary. He doesn't know where we're going, he doesn't know anything. And they've already closed the door. I was like, he's, he's not gonna make this trip. And I'm like desperately trying to text him in the plane. Where are you? And my friend's like, you know, laughing at me. And who comes strolling down the aisle? They opened the door for him somehow. Who comes strolling out, out without a care in the world is Sebastian. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's, like, we're totally, we're completely stressed out. And he didn't even, like, let on at all that he was in any way, like, late for the plane or had gotten us, like, so, worked, or me at least, got me so worked up. Just totally, you know, what was the problem? What's the, what's the, what's the issue? This <laughs> or I could think of another example, someone of his friends told me was, uh, someone was at his bar talking about Shakespeare. When he was a little boy, when he was a kid, you know, eight or nine, I used to um, pay him twenty dollars for every uh, sonnet he could memorize. Yeah, I was weird. I was a young parent. <laughs> I had some very high ambitions for him as far as that's concerned. One day, he's at the bar and someone's talking about Shakespeare, and then he's serving them, and you know, and then he'll just like casually say a sonnet from memory to them and then walk away you know this is the sort of thing he would do constantly what, what his friend Cormac called a humble brag <laughs> so yeah he wasn't a saint but he, he was a funny guy and, uh, and, uh, and we, we sure miss him that's for sure So Sebastian, you know, he was working as a bartender and, and his, his murder happened when he was walking home after being out for his birthday celebration with friends in Canton Square. He left Canton Square and walked over to 7-Eleven to get a drink. And upon leaving that 7-Eleven, he was crossing the street and was approached by um, two men. Or two, two young men. They were, they were almost. They were teenagers, and robbed and shot and killed. They were able to bring him to um, Bayview, and they worked on him for 45 minutes at Bayview uh, until he was declared dead there. They couldn't identify him immediately because um, they stole his wallet, so they had no ID. I didn't know he was killed until it was almost 20 hours later. In fact. I was driving in that morning, Tuesday morning, to work and on WBAL they said that seven people were shot. Not all of them died, but uh, there were several deaths. The violence in Baltimore started Monday evening, lasted through the night and spilled over into the middle of Tuesday. At least 12 people had been shot. Six people killed during a violence spree last week that led to mandatory 12-hour shifts for all Baltimore The bloodshed
0: is hard to fathom. Six people killed in hours.
1: It's a shocking number, right? And I was, I said a prayer, I said, hello Mary. And I went to work and we just got home. Well, he just got home from the, the car dealership to get my car fixed. Phone rang, the detective was on the phone. And he said, I need you to come here to talk to you about Sebastian. And I said, what's, what's going on? Is he dead? I mean, why else does the detective call you? It'd be better if you came here, sir. Uh, I just need to know while I'm driving over that he's alive or dead. After several times, he finally told me, yes, Sebastian was, was killed last night He was shot. My children were standing, I mean, they saw me talking on the phone, first of all. They all were standing around. They knew something was up. So when I hung up, I, I told them and my wife, Sebastian's been killed. He was shot and killed last night in Baltimore. And um, I had to go. And so... I didn't realize to that moment that I had actually was saying a prayer for my son in the car. That was he was one of the seven people that I heard about on the radio. Police say Dvorak was murdered during an apparent robbery on the twenty five hundred block of Boston Street on. One June of them, 13th.
0: Sebastian Dvorak, who just turned twenty seven, a local
1: bartender, Dvorak was robbed and gunned down along Boston Street after a night out with friends. His family left shattered. One thing i struggle with we say that god can make even the most evil thing a good out of it and i i I accept that intellectually (laughs) but uh it's hard to view your son's death as anything good coming out of it because i don't agree with that statement i do want something good to come out of it but emotionally you want it to be you don't want him to have to die to have something good to come out of it There's a certain numbness about all this, even to, the, even to today, like you don't want to believe it in your disbelief. And I know this is part of the stages of, of grief, but some things that are surprising, like you don't want to pray, for example, when it first happens, you don't want to engage in any of that. And you really have to force yourself um, because you, all you want to do is, is pretend this hasn't happened in essence. But I think it's so so important to not isolate yourself like that. You have to um, lean on your faith quite a bit, whether it be adoration or going to mass or so forth. I mean, I, I I I've leaned on it quite heavily in the last year and a half. It was a somber morning for friends and family who gathered for the funeral of Sebastian. He was only 27 the years old, but shocked. people I spoke to at the funeral say he was wise beyond his years. If you can imagine the most saddest day of your life. And the most beautiful, it, it happened to be his funeral day, because it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But of course, it was the, the saddest day of my life, for sure. And um, it's just a testimony to how many people that I didn't know he touched in his life. I mean, we're talking thousands of people there. And that still goes on today. I mean, it's not, the enthusiasm hasn't stopped for him. And I, that's one big regret I have. I wish I had known... Understood that about him, how how he affected other people. I Didn't I, You know, when you're 27 and your dad, you're you're not you know hanging out all the time as a, with a 27 year old son. Um, we, we did we did do things. We went to football games and things like that. But I didn't I didn't understand like how many people he touched in his life and person after person telling telling me that he was so special to them. So I also would say like some things the church does. I I think that are very important. And I think we've fallen. I think we've stopped doing some of these things. And I think we shouldn't. Some of the rituals, some of the um, sacramentals, some of the things that the church has traditionally done—that I think we've kind of fallen away a little bit from them. I think is so helpful to someone's mourning, just having physical things to hold on to, to, to know this is the process. That at a wake, you have a deacon or a priest come out and have a ceremony. You pray the the Office of the Dead. All these things that we've done in the past, we've, we've forgotten about, are actually incredibly su- helpful to when, you, when you've lost something. It gave you a structure around to, to rest your, mor- your, your, your sorrow, I guess is a way to put it. This is video coming into the newsroom. Police want you to take a close look. They want to talk to these two men about the murder of Sebastian Devorak. Investigators are calling them persons of interest. It ended up being that these two guys were in a gang. About 13 people were arrested because they hid the guns and they provided the gun and then they got them for all a bunch of other things. I mean, it, it, is, it is very uh, infuriating because um, what these two guys stole was nothing. I mean, they stole a Nintendo game and probably $5. But of course, they stole something else. They stole Sebastian's life. They stole. He I was going to marry and have children. He stole that whole future. He was stolen for nothing. So yeah, there's there's anger about that. Of course, I think that you know, as far as like how things have progressed in my way of dealing with this, I don't forgive these people because I, I don't. They didn't ask for forgiveness. I certainly would think about forgiving them if they did ask. And I'm, I'm not against that at all. I do pray for them. In fact, I go to adoration at Magal Conception on Thursday nights and just about 2,000 yards away, not even 1,000 yards away, is where they're all being held. I always have to make certain I pray for all those guys. It's not always easy, but I think it's, it's something we, we're called to do. We're called to do that. I truly do pray that they have a conversion and they find God and find a righteous path because not only did we lose our son, the, the murderers of their parents have lost something too. They lost their children too. I mean, I call them children, they're, they're 17 years old, but they've lost them as well. They've ruined a lot of lives. They've ruined their own lives, they've ruined aspects of our lives, they've ruined their parents' lives in lots of ways. And so I, I, I pray constantly that, you know, God does make something good out of all this. And hopefully, and I do hope that part of that story is their, is their redemption. And I think one of the reasons he touched so many people, my son did, is um, he had a real passion for justice. And then what's so totally heartbreaking is that those two guys, like Hugh had been on their side. I know he would have been. I know he would have been on their side. Uh, just Hugh had talked about how they, did, they didn't have opportunities or so forth. And so, uh, it's, you know, they didn't know who they were killing, I guess. I mean, they were killing someone like, who was totally, saw from there, had empathy for them. He, he was very passionate about it. He was going to, um, he was finishing his bachelor's degree, but he wanted to become a lawyer, public defender. I think that's, we had discussions about that. So that's, that's, that's certainly heartbreaking. Um, so he was 27, it was his 27th birthday, the day before. And the last, even conversation I had with him was a text. We were texting. He was out for his birthday, and I asked him if he wanted to come to the St. Gabriel's festival. I guess it would have been. And he um, he said he was out. He was out with his friends, and he wasn't going to be able to make it that morning. And I said, "Well, I love you, and be safe." And that was that was the last text I had actually sent him. When you have a death like that, when you when you lose your son, your life is kind of segmented at that point. It's the time before losing your son in such a horrible way and the time after. And um, this is something like you won't necessarily get over. It's something that you'll carry, I'll carry, you know, forever. One of the feelings that you have, and I still have to this day, is you just want, you want time to kind of stop because the further... You move away from when it happened, the further you feel like you're moving away from uh, your son, you, your memory of him is kind of stuck in that moment and you're just moving farther and farther away from it. And so it's been in the last 18 months, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, honestly, more than us. I don't know if I have time. <laughs> I've had much um, ability to, to digest it more than I've, as I've explained it now. I mean, as far as like incredible sadness, anger, and then what do we do with this? There's no there's no real answer to the question. There's just walking with the person. There's just being there. There's just where you can help you just jump in and help. You don't burden the person with the grief with more more issues of of how how you can help. They have enough to worry about as far as not how you can help. I mean that'd be my inclination too before all this. Uh my inclination would be like how could I help? Or uh uh you know, I'm praying for you. That's great you're praying for me, but a better thing to do is not just to pray for me, but to say, I'm going to Mass tomorrow morning. I'm going to pray for you. I am going to fast this, this Friday for you. I'm going to go to adoration on this time. If you want to come, I'll be there. Like being proactive and actually doing these things is, is much more uh, helpful as far as someone suffering grief. And also another thing that I wish people would think to do, and they just don't, is just like a year later, for example, even sending a card. Uh, because people are still dealing, especially with the grief of loss of a child, they're still, they'll be dealing with it for a long time. And I think sometimes you think that now that the, the kind of the parties, not party, but now that the afterglow is over of this, everyone's going on with their lives and you're just left holding the bag. I think that one very kind, loving thing to do is to check in on the person, not check in with like, how are you doing? A check in with like, I'm writing you a card. I'm thinking of you and so forth. Because most people are going to say, I'm doing fine and that's just an actual card or an actual act. It just boosts the person a, a little bit more than a question. As far as like people, like how people react to your morning and their morning too, I, obviously. This is like a uh, top five things not to do, <laughs> or to do, I guess I should say. Like, you, like don't say, I know, what if, I know what you're going through. That's that's not what you wanna say, cause they might, but it's not. It's like it'd be like going to someone in a traffic accident, and they're laying on the ground bleeding, and you are saying, "I know exactly how that feels." That that's not, that's not helpful. That's not. In fact, it's it's the opposite. It, it makes it makes you feel. I don't know. It's it's just not. It's not empathetic. I guess is the word. Or saying things like, "I know he's in a better place," or "Let me know what I can do to help." In the moment after something like this, you have to understand that your mind is just it's You're basically non-functional, so you have no way of knowing what you would even know, need to do. So, like, one some some one friend I could think of, for example, um, just came over my house and did all my lawn work. Just did it, or uh, bringing food over. There's lots of ways to help um, without even getting the person who's who's going through such through that through that morning without even getting them involved necessarily, because. You're completely debilitated at that with uh, the loss of a child. I will also say that you know some people will say like a year and a half later, I thought you were kind of past this, you know like you'' you're're you're, you're good now and and that's you know the loss is not for a child it's not ever going to go away necessarily you're just coping with it differently I think also people. When these things happen, like uh, there's all there's also like expectations that you're not you're supposed to be mourning and not 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 supposed to be happy in any manner. I think this is a terrible um, lie. If you're if you're the person mourning, you you, you have opportunities to laugh definitely laugh, embrace joy when the joy presents itself, and and don't don't be afraid that that is um, people are going to look at you in some judgmental way. God will might provide that joy to you at that moment because you need it. Also about just about crying in general. Of course, I cried uh, quite a bit, but um, at some point, you know, a month or two after he died, I, I couldn't cry anymore. I just felt I just felt terrible about that. I, I wasn't able to cry. I was just unable to cry about it anymore. And so when you're crying and you're feeling how, how awful this, is, I think you should think of it as a blessing actually, because just imagine if you if someone you love died, and you weren't able to express your your your, your, your tears in that way. Generally, it's, it's very therapeutic to, to, to have this, you know, to, to cry, for example. It shouldn't bring you down, um, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. When we get back from the break, we'll speak more with David about hope, healing, and justice in Baltimore City. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. Before the break, we were speaking with David, whose son Sebastian was murdered in Baltimore City in June of 2017. Dave, thank you for sharing your story. You share about Sebastian's death and the importance of hope in the face of this loss. What do you think is the role of justice here? Part of the story of hope is justice, actually.
1: Because people that suffer um, injustices in the in the city or anywhere, they are left with without hope. In fact, one of the most important roles government has uh, is to provide justice. And so, mercy does not mean no justice. It's justice with mercy. It's not. It's both end. Right. It's not either or. In fact, you do know, you do the person who has perpetrated such crimes. You do them no favors by not providing justice. The um, the virtue of justice is 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 important to healing the person who has done something wrong. It's also important to the person who's done wrong, because it brings them to a realization of what they've done, hopefully. And both those aspects are, are required to have a city that's functional. <laughs> you know, faith leads to hope, hope leads to charity, charity more charity leads to more faith, and so forth. It's sort of like a dynamo, and we can't complete that loop. If it's broken and it's all these aspects in their in city, like, you know, injustice is a great example of it. And you can't have people wanting to be charitable if they're facing constant injustice. You know, in my case, it would be his death, obviously, his murder. I'm not saying you couldn't get over that, but I'm just saying it makes it much more difficult. And so the city has many problems. I, <laughs> justice is one of them. But I think they all kind of go back to the main root, which is, which is hope, um, the lack of hope and there's a certain despair that goes on, not just in the city, but in the, so the who's who don't live outside the city. And that, that despair is, it's really against a system that you know you can't change. It's, it's being outraged, even though you know you have no effect on that. In other words, it's the Facebook world where you just, you know, you're angry and you write something. But instead of spending your time being angry about some injustice you can't change, there's someone next door you could help, and you're not helping them. And this, this is a form of despair. Because you, you've kind of given up. You're just being outraged, which leads to nowhere, honestly. Not that not, we shouldn't be outraged at times. We should. But that has to be transformed into some sort of action. And, and, I, and I think a part of it is that we we tend to think, oh, I won't make a difference. You know, Me volunteering at, at school for lacrosse, the big scheme of things doesn't make a difference. But you thought about it a little too much, right? You as a human are able to know what makes a difference or not. From your perspective, you don't know what... What aspect of your life and your charity is going to make a difference? That's beyond your ability to understand. Just like it was beyond my ability to understand how many, just like Sebastian, I'm sure he didn't know, all the people he touched in his life and saw them all show up at the cathedral that day, you know, he didn't know he was touching all these people. He was just doing it. And we can't fall prey to despair. We have to engage in the world that God has given us and be examples and be propagators of hope and that's not easy that's why it's a vert that's why it's a virtue that's why you have to that's why it's something you need to work on and not give into despair and constantly screaming at people basically on the internet
0: dave i know you also have young children how did you talk with them about sebastian's death so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm married. My wife's name is Lisa, and we have um,
1: four children. Um, we have a fifth on the way. My um, name is uh, Shelby, Matilda, or Tilly. We call her Tilly, uh, Peter, and Augie, Augustine, Augie. So, you know, Augie wasn't was just a baby when Sebastian died. So he has he didn't there's nothing to say about that. But the other children, we didn't hide any of this from them. We didn't, we didn't in any way shield them as far as this is concerned. They went to the funeral. They went to the viewings. They definitely have faith that he's in heaven, but um, I think it certainly affected the eldest, my eldest daughter, and, and maybe Matilda as well. Even to this day, there's aspects that I think affect them. But I, I just think it's it's not something. You know, death is death is where we're all. I mean, we're all headed down this road. I don't think there's anything to like. I don't think there's any reason to shield little shield children from this at all. I think it's part of part of our faith. One of the aspects of our faith is that we believe, you know, the promises of Christ and uh, that we're all going to be with God in, at some point. And so we pray for Sebastian. We pray the rosary for him sometimes. They know he's um, with God. So I, I don't think we did anything different with them than we, we did with anyone else. You know, my wife was mostly the one dealing with, with them. I mean, immediately because uh, I was dealing with all other aspects of this. You know, initially they were very upset. I mean, I'm sure they still are, but it was a lot of crying, a lot of
0: praying. I hate to ask more about this, Yeah. but murder is just such a violent and awful act. Yeah. How do you talk about something like that with a child? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know.
1: I don't know there's a good way of saying it other than just saying it. I mean, I can just tell you what I said. Someone shot... Sebastian and killed him last night with a gun. Well, you know, and the question would be like, you know, like, as you would expect, you know, why and what, 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 why would someone do that? Because they'd done something evil and there's no other reason other than that. And there's no deep meaning, there's no explanation there to it other than someone's done something evil in my mind to a child for sure. I just don't think in this particular example, now I, I, I'm not saying everyone should go talk to their children about murder. I think we had to. We had no choice. I mean, they know their brother's gone, and I don't see any benefit of hiding the the reality of the whole thing from them. So yes, I I probably wouldn't because I probably wouldn't have discussed murder with them prior to this. But I kind of kind of had to. You know, most children's reactions. It's our children are just kind of like there's no reaction. It's just kind of like you know looking at you because I don't know if they necessarily can. Digest all that, and they'll carry it way, the way they carry it. I don't know how they. I don't know how they carry that fact, but I don't. I, I really don't see another way of of handling it. I mean, I. I mean, because it was. It's, it's. It is what happened. Um,
0: Dave, with the sudden loss of someone we love, I imagine there might be regrets.
1: Yeah, I mean that's certainly the case. I. I regret lots of things. You know, I regret not spending as much time with him as we might have done because he's twenty seven and I'm raising a small I'm raising a family and he's doing his life and I'm doing my life and so we see each other at Ravens games and we see each other at holidays and we see each other once in a while for lunch. And then otherwise, you know, he's just kind of plugging along and I'm plugging along. And so yeah, I mean I totally, I totally regret that. Actually the next day, you know, I sent him another text, you know, after I found out he died and said, I'm sorry, and I love you. Because that's one of the feelings you have. You know, you're sorry for biting heads, like you said. I know, for example, his uncle died just a month earlier. And uh, believe it or not, he missed his his flight. (laughs) He missed his flight to Boston to see his uncle's funeral. And one of the options was for me to drive him up there. This was just a month prior to his death. And um, I didn't. I had him get on our plane. I mean, we found another flight for him because I was I was busy planning a, a party at my house for um, a, a cookout, and I, have, I couldn't do it. Their God gave me. I mean, I think I'm saying this now. I don't know if it's you know true, but I'm I'm think, in my head. I think there there I was given an opportunity to spend you know eight hours in the car with him prior to him dying, and I didn't take it. I didn't do it. Um, those kinds of things. Yeah, you 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 regret like time not spent. Things you fought over. Uh you know, like I went to I went to the Super Bowl and I didn't bring him. Okay. I was just and I was just thinking, well, oh, there'll be lots of Super Bowls for him to go to. But no, there, there wasn't actually, it was just that one. So yeah, I did send him a text the next day saying I love him and I'm sorry. I don't know why I sent the text, but I mean that's that's one of the feelings you certainly have after you've suddenly lost somebody you you know, in essence like you know, from the age I was twenty to the age I was forty-ish was spent just trying to get this young man, you know, raising him and getting him uh, on his way. And, and it's just suddenly gone. And yeah, of course, there's lots of things you wish you'd done, and not, and not said, and, and so forth.
0: And uh, um, but yeah. So I know you live in Baltimore City, even after Sebastian's death. I feel like my tendency would be to leave, uh, so why, why would you stay? I ask. I guess I asked myself
1: um, you know how living out somewhere isolated how's that jibe I guess with my you know Christian faith I, I certainly have a wonderful beautiful life living on a farm <laughs> in Western Maryland or somewhere and, and and having my my little community there I, I I'm trying to I'm trying to put in words what I'm thinking here so my wife and I have had this this debate as well. Like, I think her inclination is to, to get the heck out, right? And my inclination is the opposite. <laughs> my opposite is get the heck in. Uh, so, we do, we do struggle with that sort of tension. You know, when I think about it a little more deeply, I think we're actually called to do both. You know, some people are called to uh, form, you know, isolated communities, not isolated, but communities that can propagate culture or whatever else. I mean, but some people are called to be, you know, in with where the help is needed, I guess. And I'm not trying to put myself out as some sort of saint that's living in the city and doing that. I just, I just, my my reaction to a, a humongous problem of, of people needing help is not to leave. I guess is my is my first reaction. My reaction is this is not normal. The way the city operates is not normal. I mean, it's not normal to have 370 murders a year. It, that this is a war zone, and. Part of the problem from being a war zone is everyone's kind of like abandoned the city, and lots of ways. the people that can help have abandoned the city, and that includes that's that's a, that includes people like myself. You know, my educational class, however you want to describe it. You know, that, those people have all left, and then also it's a topic that's probably not politically correct, but just not having any fathers in the city um, for all these for all these kids. I guess my answer to you, Edward, is that I don't. My my gut instinct is is not to flee. Right. My gut instinct is. We can do something about this, we can help. We were looking for parishes, uh, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but we walked into, uh, we, were looking, we were changing parishes a couple of years ago. And we walked into one parish, I won't say who it is, and there's no one, there's no one there, no one. It's just like you know, four people at mass. My reaction is, oh, let's, let's go here. <laughs> let's go to this parish, they, they, they need us. And my wife's reaction is like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me?
0: Dave, we had to reschedule this interview because your father died. And I know you also lost your mother recently. Can you share with our listeners some of the differences between losing a parent and a child?
1: Uh, so <laughs> the thing about losing a child is that it, it's such a, it's, there's, it's such a uh, megat- megatron event in your life that when you lose it's it kind of crowds out other things if you know what i'm saying like yes i'm, ver- I'm very sad that my dad died but um it's hard to like put that grief that grief in context in context of losing my son is it's it's hard to compare the two right i mean i i would compare them but but you know my dad um died kind of suddenly actually um and uh uh he he was a uh, he he, he he was he wanted to be with his wife who had died a year earlier and he would tell me every day I, I'm praying for Sebastian and I'm praying for mom now my mom died she had Alzheimer's uh, she died after 10 years of Alzheimer's he took care of her um, for 10 years um, and it was not it was it was very it was a, it was a very virulent form of Alzheimer's. She, she wasn't able to function at all for most of those 10 years. When I, when I gave the, we gave a, had a eulogy last month for him at the funeral, and um, I seem to be singly obsessed with this topic of hope, but his character and love, his love, his charity of carrying my mom through that time in their marriage, honoring their marriage, and carrying her through that from our perspective seems tragic, but from you know, God's perspective, it might be the finest moments of their marriage, because He's giving profound, heroic love to His to His wife. And um, it's one thing that He taught me through that. I think I didn't know He was teaching me it, but He, he through through example. Was bearing your cross with joy, whatever cross God gives you. And so I I, I hope, I, I do hope that um, my sons, my son's murderer, I hope that I'm able to do that. I hope I'm able to carry that in a way that is it, it brings hope to people in some way. And also do it with do it do it not as a martyr, but do it as as a as a joyful person, a, a Christian who has you know
0: faith, hope, and, and charity. Um, what consolation have you received in this last year?
1: One thing, one thing that we uh, tend to do in this society is like we make the person who died some sort of like saint, Saint Sebastian. <laughs> and so you have to recall, like you know, that's not what what went on. I, I we had, we fought for this reason, and it was legit. And uh, I think the, I think our inclination is to like it's a good inclination, think of only the you know, all the great things about this person and that's that's great. But but not be hard on yourself necessarily because if you did butt heads, it wasn't always your fault. <laughs> it, it, it this person, you know, was a human just like you were and uh I still I still regret it, right? I mean I can't I can't get that back. I can't get that time I didn't spend back. Uh but, you know, on a logical level you realize like it's just that that's how that's the situation at that point in time you were in, right I get your original question was consolation, so yeah, I guess the answer to the question is yes, digesting it after you know eighteen months you have you have some perspective to think, well, yes, I wish I had uh, driven him to Boston that day, but i there's nothing I could have known i could, couldn't have known he wasn't going to be around for another month uh, he only had one month more to live um
0: How We Grieve is hosted and written by Edward Herrera,
1: with production help, original music, editing, and creative direction by Jay Lampard. Special thanks to our guests for sharing their stories of loss and hope. To learn more, visit our website, howwegrieve.org. This has been a production of the Archdiocese of Baltimore.